Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 436 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interviewed Chris Weisiger of TMA Games and asked them about the design and development of the Ocean Warship arcade adventure game, Waves of Steel. That's a really clumsy attempt at me summarising this very interesting and fun game. You build a warship. And then when you build that warship, you go out in the ocean and start blowing other warships up and frigates and other variety of ocean-bound vessels in an extraordinary and fantastical story contained within Waves of Steel. Now, Chris is a very open and honest guest. This is his first commercial game, and it's quite surprising considering how polished it is, which is why I had Chris on. It's a very fun and fantastical game, and we took great delight in basically picking it apart in a good way. So let's listen to me talk to another person called Chris about a warship game. Yeah, let's do that. Hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yes, I am Chris Weisiger. I am the developer of a arcade naval combat game called Waves of Steel, which came out earlier this month on February 6th. I like to call it a game for people who like warships but wish they could do kickflips. If only. If only. Some way, someday I have faith that we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll put a warship out there in the ocean in real life and it'll launch into the air and do a spin and come back down with a big splash. Well, the Avengers did it. Why not? So. Oh, yeah. You know, the <laughs> Avengers, you know, well-known documentary series, the Avengers. <laughs> the Avengers. 
<laughs> How did you make your start making video games, Chris? So I've always been interested in game development. Um, arguably, my first games were made when I was like eight years old. My dad had a Commodore 64 and I was poking around in basic writing. It, it, was, it was like these super simple things where it would draw something with the extended character set. And then it would ask the person, quote unquote, playing the game if they liked what it had drawn. And then if they said yes, it would say thank you. If it said no, then it would insult them. Um, but I uh, like that never really went very far. Of course, I, I didn't have the skills or the knowledge, but I had the interest. Um, and then uh, later on, when I was in, in my teenager years, I was poking around with an old roguelike game. And I'm talking roguelike before that term got watered down into irrelevancy. I think the term now is classic roguelike for these games. Um, where you are an explorer descending into a dungeon and fighting monsters and getting loot and everything is represented with ASCII characters because they had no graphics, they had no budget, they you know they had an 80 by 24 screen of letters and numbers and that was everything. Um, so uh, I would hack around with that game. I'd like you know fiddle around with the monsters and I would change the drop codes so that I could get overpowered gear right at like by killing very early enemies in the game and then just sort of, you know, waltz my way through everything. It was a very experimental thing. Um, I've also made attempts at doing more serious game development uh, later on in life. Like I'm, I tried making, I guess you'd call it a bejeweled clone, like, you know, where you're, you're matching gems and then disappear and new gems fall in. Uh, and I would make several attempts at making a procedurally generated Metroidvania. Uh, and while there are many games out there today that um, you could describe with that phrase, what I had in mind was something much more ambitious, and I've never been able to achieve it. Um, so hopefully someday I'll be able to make a game where it feels like you're exploring a properly designed world from scratch every time you play it, but that may be a uh, retirement project. Um, I'm getting very off into the weeds here, I think. But I've always been interested in game development. Uh, I got my start basically by just, you know, finding games and poking around with them. Um, these days, like Waves of Steel was made with Unity. Uh, but it, because I had all that past experience, like I had knowledge with Blender for making 3D models. I had experience with Audacity for doing sound editing. Um, all these things I'd sort of like, practiced back in the day with the idea that they might come in handy someday or I was just doing it for its own sake and then, then it all came back uh, into being useful when I made this game I'll say but we're coming to that later <laughs> next question what are your biggest influences as a creator oh geez um so this is different from saying what is my favorite game, which would also involve a lot of hemming and hawing. Uh, but in terms of influences, there's definitely something there uh, from early roguelike games and also arcade games. Because um, the roguelike games, and when, when I specify early, what I mean is that they were developed in the 80s, the 90s, maybe the early 2000s. Uh, they were developed... Um, under very limited uh, budgets and you know, like oftentimes no budget 
Um, and they had to be very mechanically focused. And the same thing goes for arcade games. Like if you walk into an arcade and you put in your 25 cents, your 50 cents to you play the game, the game needs to get you into playing mode immediately. There can't be like five or 10 minutes of tutorials. It's just like, you know, here's a ship. You move it with the joystick. Here's a button. You press it to fire. Do not ever take your finger off of that fire button and don't get hit. Like, you know, that's all you need to know to play the game. Um, so they're very uh, mechanically pure. Um, and that uh, has an attraction to me in, in, the, in the simplicity of, uh, uh, and also in just sort of like immediately getting you into the mindset of uh, whatever you're supposed to be doing in the game. You know, like your, your roguelike game, everything has to take in, uh, um, everything has to be visualized in your imagination because there are no graphics, right? You're like, you're a little at sign and you're walking around and you're hitting little like L's and P's and D's and you're picking up a dollar sign, which is supposed to be like this big pile of gold. You're like, you have to imagine it all because there's nothing there otherwise. And then the arcade games where it's just like, um, there's no setup. You know, everything, there's a story, there's no setup. It's just you know, like straight into the game. And you have to wonder why these things are happening, but you don't really have time because they don't really give you a chance to, to catch your breath. So next question then. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Okay. So this is where I admit that I don't actually know a whole lot about video game developers as like, you know, celebrities or as like well-known names. Like I know of, you know, like people like Kojima, of course, but I've never played a Metal Gear game myself, uh, except for the Nintendo ones, the NES ones, that is. Um, and like, uh, I know of uh, Miyamoto, who did the uh, like the Metroid series early on. I think that was him. Uh, yeah, Shigeru. Um, so, like, I, I admire their games, um, but I've I've never really thought of of trying to attach that to a particular developer. Um, and it can be a studio, by the way. I, mm -hmm. I would like to clarify that if there's any particular studio that you think, oh yeah, they. They're, they're, what they're doing is good. They should carry on doing that. <laughs> so, and, and this is the other thing is that like, there are franchises that I stuck with for many years, um, specifically Metroid and Zelda, uh, but they kind of lost me at some point. I stopped buying consoles in the early 2000s. Um, I could go on a little rant about this, but I do feel like, um, you know, it can be helpful to to think about a designer and say like, okay you know like i like their games that they've done in the past i'll probably like this one as well um but there's no guarantee um and so sometimes you know a game series will go in a direction that you're not really willing to go along for the ride on and you know the, the series will kind of lose you that's what happened to me um and you know it's it's not that the de you know like the developer has changed necessarily they're trying out different things or maybe they're not trying out different things and, you know, the game gets stale for you. Um, but it's just not really something that I've uh, ever attached particular significance to, I guess I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite right. It's, just, it's any medium, isn't it? How often have we, like, it's a, a band, like, you know, any particular band. Like, yeah, the first two albums mm -hmm. are great, but the third one, 
oh, <laughs> what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. And that it's true. I mean, it's still a, I still maintain this question is an interesting one because it's oh yeah yeah. But it's a great yeah. take on it. It's just like yeah, well, it's all well celebrating what they've done, but and that's true. We should, but we have to be careful, mindful of the fact that sometimes they do off go go off course. I would counter by super giant games have yet to make a proper misstep, but you know <laughs> they're not they're not uh, they're kind of uh, atypical. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that you can't say, oh, like, you know, another game out by this studio and they made other games that I like, I should pay attention. Um, it's just that for me, it's not really been something where I'm consistently consuming the output of a t- particular person or organization. Um, part of this also is that for the past, like, three and a half to four years, I've been so focused on making my game that I haven't been playing very many games uh, because for me, they tend to consume a similar type of energy. So like I spend all day working on my game and at the end of the day, I'm like, I have no brain power left. I am going to vegetate or I'm going to play a game that I already have like 500 hours racked up in because I know exactly how it's going to go and I don't really need to apply myself uh, or pay attention to anything. That's fair because, and also it's almost as if you're looking over my shoulder, looking at my screen here. Uh-huh. Maybe uh, I am. Maybe you I are. hacked into your system. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the final question of the first half is, what are you playing right now, Chris? Right now, the two games that I've been playing are Deep Rock Galactic and Peglin. And I'm going to guess that most of the people listening know about Deep Rock Galactic, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail there uh, beyond just saying you know, it's very well made and i like the uh the reward loop i guess i would put it as um it's sort of quietly affirmative um and, and supporting the player peglin is uh if you played Pegel, which is a uh, pachinko game like you throw a ball into a field and it bounces off of pegs and then those pegs get uh destroyed and then they can get refreshed later and you're just trying to build up a big combo so uh peglin is that applied to a roguelike RPG game? Um, so the board is, uh, you, you've got your little goblin guy, it's the, the Peglin, like L-I-N for goblin, I guess. Um, and then there's like some enemy on the other side of the screen and the board is between you. You throw your your uh, orbs into the Pegel board and it bounces off of things. And every time it hits a peg, it gets a little bit more damage. And then once the ball falls out, out of the board, uh, you attack the enemy, and then they get their turn. Um, so it's a very uh, random game, um, but there is a lot of like, oh, you know, like I need to hit this orb over here. Or I, I need to hit this peg over here because it's going to, you know, give me a critical hit, or I need to target this particular enemy. And then you know, like you're choosing upgrades and uh, when to level up your orbs so that they're more effective, or how to spend your money, that kind of thing. Um, so highly recommended. Go check it out. It's in early access, but it is quite fun already. Sounds like a work of genius. Goblins, Peggle. <laughs> it, it is one of those games where I'm honestly kind of annoyed that I didn't think of it um, because they're selling their game for 20 bucks. I'm selling my game for 20 bucks. I'm not going to say that they didn't work hard on their game, but the amount of labor that my game encompasses is vastly larger and the market for their game is also i think probably significantly larger so it's one of those things like uh, i wish 
in a different universe, maybe I could have been them. Oh well. There it is. Right, that's the first half done. Let's move on and delve deep into the second part where we are going to be talking at length about Waves of Steel. Chris, before we do that, we need to know what it is. Well, more to the point, the audience does. I really do know what it is. Well, I think I know what it is. What is Waves of Steel? Waves of Steel is an arcade naval combat game where you build your own warship and then take it out into a single-player campaign and you fight like hordes of enemy ships and ridiculous super weapons. And uh, it is a very silly game that presents itself completely seriously so that when for example a giant flying battleship shows up and challenges you to a duel you know like the player ship's captain is like all right you know fine we're going to fight you and we're also going to you know like we're not going to comment on the fact that your ship is completely ridiculous uh but we are we're going to take you seriously and fight you and we're going to beat you because we're the good guys um so it's a, uh, and to be clear, that, that last part is not in the dialogue. That's me framing the, the story, so to speak. Um, you know, the story is very straightforward. It is there to enable the game to go in very strange directions, but it's always presented with a straight face. Um, so it's sort of my, uh, 
I find that the humor lands better when the game is not self-aware. Um, this is that rant I was talking about earlier, uh, where a lot of games, they're like, they, they don't feel confident in their ability to present a joke. And so they will have the characters comment on how funny the joke was, which undermines the joke. Um, yeah, never explain a joke, because if you've done it, then it ceases to be one. Exactly. Yes. So uh, now that I've gone back way out into the weeds about the very straightforward question you asked me, uh, sorry, I need to get that off my chest, apparently. Um, <laughs> Ways of Steel is, yeah, so it, it is a fairly straightforward game loop. You, you have a ship, you go out, you do a mission, which is going to involve like sailing around a map and shooting things. And like sometimes people will top up, uh, pop up and have some dialogue, uh, and then you like get new objectives or new enemies responded. While you're fighting things, sometimes they will drop a crate, which may be like repairs or new, more ammo, or it may be a new technology. And then at the end of the mission, uh, you can take all the new stuff you found and you go into the ship designer, and the ship designer lets you take all the technologies you found and build new ships with them. So like. I may start out in a very small destroyer ship and find new ship hulls that are uh, based on real historical ships. So like I can start out in a Clemson-class destroyer and then get a Farragut-class destroyer or something like that. Um, and then there'll be like the ship's bridge, the engines, the, uh, the smokestacks, and of course, all of the weapons. Uh, there are over 400 different ship parts in the game. Um, and I'm really proud of the ship designer because it gives you a lot of freedom uh, to make a ship that is like your own self-expression. Like you, you achieved your goal of creating a ship that looks the way you want it to um, without requiring you to like build up everything from very small fundamental units. Um, so a lot of games will, when they give you the ability to build things, so either say like, here is your, your chassis, and then you're allowed to attach five things, and they go on these like five hard points. And it's just like you're picking things from a list and sliding them into place. Um, so there's not a lot of opportunity for self-expression there. Uh, and then other games will go in the completely opposite direction, and they'll say like, here is a completely blank canvas, and here are like your 50 fundamental building blocks, and you need to build your entire ship and the guns and the bridge and everything uh, out of those 50 fundamental units. And so like, instead of giving you a gun, they will give you like a gun barrel and a turret and you know, like an ammo storage. And it's up to you to fit all those things together into the basic unit that you want to be able to use. And so it ends up being just a tremendous amount of work to get anything that looks like anything or is actually functional. Um, so the way to steal, you can build a new ship in like five minutes. You could spend half an hour in there, like tweaking things if you really wanted to, or like, you know, uh, faffing around with adding decals and paint jobs and flags and, and all that stuff. Um, it really, like, you can quickly build something that looks good and is functional. You can spend a lot of time in there optimizing if you want to. Um, but uh, it, it doesn't have like the limitations of a hard point system. It doesn't have the uh, overwhelmingness of the, the sort of voxel based system. No, I've seen the big guns. Oh boy! It's yes, just, yeah, yeah. This, no, the, they, they the guns exist. in Ways of Steel get very big. They do. Um, they do. So, for play, people who are not familiar with naval combat specifically, uh, 
you may think that like the gun on a tank is large and those will be like 75 millimeter guns, maybe 100 millimeter guns. The smallest primary gun in the game is a four inch gun, you know, works out to roughly 100 millimeters. Um, and in the normal game, like not, not counting the non-serious stuff that like I threw in there, like, there, you know, there's a 10 meter gun, but that's really more of a joke than anything. <laughs> but in terms of serious guns, they go up to 21 inches. Yeah. Um, so that is more than five times bigger. And when I say inches, like that is the diameter of the shell, like the bullet that the gun fires. Um, in real life, like, you know, the, the Iowa, Iowa class battleships have a 16 inch gun and you will see photos of people standing next to the shells that were fired by those guns. And the shells are bigger than the person. They're like two meters long. They weigh two tons a piece. Uh, these are very big guns. And that is sort of part of the, um, the aesthetic appeal of doing a naval combat game is you get to play with a lot of very big toys. Now, speaking of creating and playing and making things, a first rule of proper design question for you. Mm -hmm. the, the, the act of creating a custom vessel in Ways of Steel does lead to something that I found myself getting almost irrational about, is in a sense of attachment to one's vessel. It's your ship. You made it. It's you, know, you put those torpedoes there. You put that, you know, that, that those particular guns and funnels and engines. That's it's all on you. That's mm -hmm. you. What's that? The original intention to give a sense of agency to, or not agency, but connection to the player and the ship they're controlling, or was it something that naturally evolved that way? It, it was definitely intentional. Um, when I started working on the game, um, you know, in a completely unrelated context, I was talking with some friends about uh, games that they were playing, and I was noting about noticing how. Uh, important like cosmetic um decorations were in pretty much any triple a game that you have these days you'll have some ability to customize how your character looks um and they're like oh yeah no playing dress up with your virtual avatar is a huge part of games for a lot of people um and it was something that i took to heart for ways to steal is like okay let's see how many different ways we can make this be your ship instead of just a ship that you made. Um, so it was definitely something that I was thinking about. Uh, and I did my best to highlight uh, your ship as much as possible. So like in the, the you, you do the first mission of the game, it's a tutorial mission. And then they take you into the ship designer to do like the, the first tutorial on the ship designer. Uh, I try to keep those as quickly, uh, as brief as possible, but there is still some, ramping up you have to do and then it sets you loose in the ship designer um and a lot of players will find the cosmetic section and they'll say oh like i'm going to make like some custom camouflage i'm going to choose a different flag for my ship i'm going to like put some garlands on there so you can have like strands of flags running on things and then you go into the next mission and the intro to the next mission shows your ship sailing alongside uh, a bunch of ai ships um and there's some dialogue taking place, but you'll see your ship, which is not like this completely ridiculous thing, if you're like many players, uh, next to some fairly, you know, like staid and constrained uh, visual designs, which are the AI ships, and they don't have any paint on them. You know, it's just like metal and wood and 
like guns in reasonable locations. And like the, the way I saw one person put it, it's like, I'm the anime protagonist. You can tell because my hair is a weird color. You know, it's like it's highlighting the player's decisions in that moment immediately after they've had a chance to do some customization. Um, and it really helps, re <clears throat> helps reward them for uh, going out of the way to make the ship theirs. It does indeed. It does indeed. So maneuverability in of the ships in Waves of Steel. Mm -hmm. It's not terribly close to reality in many regards. <laughs> you you could say that. Um... Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not seeing many ships do, you know, strafing, like, you know, sidesteps <laughs> and stuff. But it's a thing. But nonetheless, though, there is momentum. You can't just turn on a dime, or at least, you know, not generally. Mm -hmm. You've got to slow down. To, to I mean, the amount of times I'll find a, trying to get to repair and find myself circling it going, Chris, slow down, because <laughs> you're just never going to get it. You're just circling it. Um, yep. So noting that, what balance did you set between reality and the fantastical in terms of the maneuverability of the ship? So um, I want to be clear here that I never actually went out to real ships to look at how the how they behaved. Right. Uh, this is always driven by what felt good to me when I was experimenting. Um, and it's like the only real inspiration I took from real life physics here. Uh, well, okay, there's two things, but the, the number one is that the rate at which you turn is determined by how fast you're going. Um, Notionally, you're being turned by water hitting the rudder on the ship, which you know, like push it, puts a sideways force on it, which swings the tail of the ship around. And that makes you turn. Um, so I had that. Uh, the other one then was that uh, when your ship turns, it tilts to the side. Uh, and it tilts in the opposite direction that you might expect if you're thinking about an aircraft, because aircraft lean into their turns and ships kind of swing out to the side. Um, I got a very irate bug report early on because I'd gotten that backwards. And the person's like, no, the ship is not tilting into a turn. It swings out the other way. Like, oh, oh oops. Yeah, okay. Um, but to get back to your question, I wanted the ships to feel weighty. Um, you know, like if they could turn on a dime, it wouldn't feel like you were controlling, you know, a 5,000 ton beast made out of steel um, that was moving through, you know, ocean and like water is really heavy. You know, it's not easy to. Uh, push it out of the way. Um, so I wanted to have that feeling there, but I did also want to have, I, I wanted the player to have options uh, for maneuvering because it's very easy to sort of get yourself into a position where uh, an unwise decision has led to you being surrounded by enemy ships, like a half a dozen torpedoes coming your way. And you'd really like to get out of the, out of the way of those torpedoes right now. Thank you. Um, and if you're limited to how the ship moves normally, then you know, you're stuck, right? It's just like, okay, well now, uh, in order to be good at this game, I have to plan out my maneuvering 15, 30 seconds in advance to make sure that I don't end up in a bad situation. And I think there could be like a good game there, but it wasn't the game I wanted to make. So instead what I did was give you a bunch of buttons that let you break reality briefly. Um, so when you press the dodge button, your ship will just you know, like slam off to the side, physics be damned, it gives you the you know the way to get out of the way of things, um, and or like the the uh, there's a drifter button which turns off 
all drag on your ship. And that lets you spin the ship around without changing the direction you're going in. And the, dr uh, the drift button uh, also combines nicely with uh, buttons that apply forces to your ship. So like dodging, if you turn off drag and then dodge, like normally when you dodge, you get shoved to the side a bit, but you rapidly come to a stop because there's so much drag on the ship. If you turn off drag and then you dodge, you go flying off into the distance because there's no drag on the ship. So that initial shove keeps you going a lot longer, um, which was just sort of a, a fun little, you know, the player figures this out, then they'll have uh, more uh, things that they can do, but they don't need to know it in order to be good at the game. It's lovely pulling off those, those uh, combos, though. It is very rewarding. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> the ability to stun smaller <laughs> ships <Yes. laughs> by taking out larger vessels and you break the chain of command. Um, at least that's how it's explained in the tutorial. Very well done, by the way. Thank um, you. Acts as a form of crowd control in Waves of Steel. Uh, sharing my knowledge of playing World of Warcraft for far too many years. Um, but uh, how did this come about? So uh, this is a question which gets into the original inspiration for the game, which is a PlayStation 2 game called Naval Ops Warship Gunner 2. Um, specifically the second game, I've heard the first game is basically like the second game, only with like less stuff in it. I never actually played the first game. Um, but uh, Waves of Steel is effectively a spiritual sequel to that series, a lot of the mechanics are there. I've obviously added a lot of stuff myself, um, but the ability to stun enemy ships by destroying the flagship is something that was in that game. It was never actually explained to you, but you would see a fleet and it would be like four small ships and one big ship in the middle. If you destroyed the big ship in the middle, the small ships would come to a stop and they would just sit there for a little bit and then they would start acting again normally. Um, and I noticed that when I was playing it. Um, so I decided to incorporate it into Waves of Steel. And I just made it a little bit more obvious what was going on. Uh, so the player would be more likely to notice and figure out how to take advantage of it. Because I wanted, uh, let's see, how do I phrase this? I wanted it to be part of how the player thought about engaging the enemy, which is really a core skill in the game is deciding, you know, what forces do I prioritize? Am I going to, you know, try to sneak through the enemy formations and target their aircraft carriers so that I'm not being shot at by planes constantly? Or am I going to, you know, like take out the small escort ships because they're easier to sink? Uh, or am I going to take out the flagship first and then pick apart the escorts while they're stunned? Um, you know, like you have options and the, the right decision might depend on a huge number of factors. So this was just one more uh, toolkit or tool that I could give the player uh, to give them more options in deciding how to deal with the threats I throw at them. I did often find myself saying, concentrate your firepower to that one ship, to the mm -hmm. exclusion of everything else, knowing knowing that it would give me a tactical advantage. Yeah, well done. That's great. Last question. Here we go. Navigation in Waves of Steel is very important. You need to know where you are and what you're doing in relation to other things. Could you talk us through the development of the 
how you dealt with that, like just informing the player of two things really, where they are, what they're doing in relation to other things. And first, also their general status and their condition and speed and stuff, because it's related. You know, it's basically that feedback because it's in a game like Ways of Steel, which is very open. Uh, if you don't have that focus, you can find yourself to sort of like wandering around aimlessly, which is the last thing you want mm. to do. So how have you managed to sort of like gently nudge the player and go, maybe maybe you should go over there, just there. <laughs> that's that's yes. interesting. So without actually bludgeoning them over the head. Well, so uh, on the topic of bludgeoning them over the head, um, one of the things that I increasingly came to realize as I worked on the game is that my players are all goldfish. They have about a half a second attention span uh, and things that I may think are perfectly obvious will slip right by them. And that's my fault, to be clear. Uh, I am I need to design the game in such a way that I can't assume that the player is going to pick up on everything that I inserted into it. Um, so like initially, the only way that I marked uh, what you needed to do was I would, uh, like if there was a target you needed to destroy, I would put a little red X on it in the in the radar. And the idea was then the, like the player would say, okay, what do I need to destroy? I look at the long range radar. Oh, there's a red X. I'll head towards it. And then, you know, I destroy that and that will progress my objectives. Um, and that is not nearly enough. So I had to keep on adding more and more different elements until I could be reasonably confident that at any given time, if the player was confused about what they need to do next, they would be able to easily find that information. So it was like a combination of most of the objectives in the game now pop up a message saying, you know, like, you need to destroy this gun or enemies just showed up to the north and the south or uh, you, know, like, you have a new objective, which is to drop off this NPC at this particular location. Um, so there's more messaging in the heads up display. Uh, there's also more uh, objectives in general. So like I could have uh, objectives in the game that aren't, they, they don't really do anything in themselves. They just provide more uh, messaging to the player about what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and then of course, uh, one thing I was able to do is uh, there is a, um, a game design element called the crazy taxi arrow. Uh, it's, it's named that because it was invented for the game Crazy Taxi. And it's just an arrow that tells you what direction you're supposed to be going in. They found a patent on that thing, which meant that no one else could use that technique in their games, but the patent expired, like, I, I don't know, five, six years ago. So I use it with wild abandon because they can't stop me anymore. Uh, so now most times, like if you need to go to a particular location in the game, there'll be a little arrow that will pop up around your ship and it'll just point in the direction you need to go. Uh, and it's not obtrusive if you're like focused on shooting other ships, it's not going to get in the way, but it's it's visually there enough that you can say, like, okay, this is the direction I should be heading in. I had no idea that Sega had done that. A horrible well, thing to do. It's just an arrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's a there are a number of software patents out there, like, software patents in general, in my opinion, should not exist. Um there are a number of them specifically around games that like loading screen mini games um are bad yeah so 
That's you can't have a mini game to keep players busy while you're loading things unless you have access to that patent. Nonsense. Anyway, that's the end of the questions, Chris. Excellent. Ways of Steel, which is developed by TMA Games. Can I ask what the TMA stands for? It stands for Too Much Abstraction, which is my handle on a particular internet forum. Uh, it was, I, I came up with the name uh, for myself as sort of a reminder. Back in the day, I, I used to get really into the weeds when I, whenever I was designing things. And like, oh, there's some simple task I need to do. I'm going to spend eight hours designing a system to do the task automatically for me. Or I could spend 30 seconds just doing it by hand. Um, so I came up with that name for myself as a reminder to say, like, you know, like stay grounded and try to solve the actual problems that are in front of you. Uh, I applied it to the company name because in my opinion, the company does not actually matter. Uh, see also my comments earlier about, uh, game developers that I pay attention to. I'm more interested in the product, uh, than I am in the organization that created the product. Uh, so TMA Games exists because I needed a company for legal reasons, but I don't actually place a whole lot of importance on it. You don't see its logo anywhere in the game. Uh, it shows up by name on the Steam store page, but I don't think, uh, like, you know, like on the website that I had to make for the game, like, it's really not that important. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And uh, what is uh, Vibes of Steel available on? What platforms is it out on? Right now, it is available for PC and Linux. Runs great on the Steam Deck. Uh, it's on Steam, and that's it for now. I, I would love to do ports to consoles, but as a solo developer, you know, my first commercial game, trying to get it out onto consoles at the same time I'm doing the PC release was not happening. Uh, you, it's important to recognize your limitations, and that was one where I'm happy to say that'll happen later. Yeah. So, Chris, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It really has. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back to talk about what next is cooking in your head right now. Whatever it may be, we will be here. But until then, All right. thank you very much. Have a lovely day. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, canerinse.com.